You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD Clinician's Roundtable special segment focused on sports medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Sherwin Ho from the University of Chicago, and joining me today is Dr. William Bryant, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the Baylor College of Medicine. Bill has practiced joint replacement surgery and sports medicine in the world-renowned Texas Medical Center for over 25 years. Over the course of his career, Dr. Bryan has served as the team physician for the Houston Astros and the U.S. Cycling Team. Bill, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Sherwin. Thank you. You know, cycling, particularly road cycling, has inherent risks to it. And every year we hear about some catastrophic accident or injury. And I hear you have some firsthand knowledge about what types of injuries a cyclist can sustain on the road. What are some of the things that primary care physician audiences are likely, what types of injuries are they likely to encounter if they're covering a cycling event or just from the the local community of cyclists? Well, abrasions are probably the biggest concern because that concrete's awfully hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you know this, Bill? How do you know <laughs> I, uh, you know, I see people riding without sleeves on their jerseys, and I see people riding without gloves on their hands. That's pretty tricky business. If you're just going, you know, riding from to the local store, that's one thing. But if you're putting serious hours on the road, that's probably not a good idea. No, no, not at all. And and you'll see, you know, the guys that ride a lot will shave their legs, and and that seems kind of bizarre. But you know, if you you get abrasions on your legs or even your the guys will shave their arms uh you, you appreciate uh, what the care is you know i think anybody covering a race has got to have you know some bottles of saline they got to have some gauze pads they've got to have some betadine solution they got to be able to scrub some of the dirt and grime out of these abrasions most people don't shave their legs or their arms so you need to be carrying some razors and try to get you know as much of the hair off from around those injuries we feel that you know the sooner you can get things like tegaderm or duoderm, you know, it's artificial skin kind of dressings on those injuries, the better, because those things will biologically you know, they breathe oxygen, they're antibacterial in a sense. That's the best treatment. Uh, the, probably the worst treatment for abrasions is to be putting gauze pads on them or putting gooey antibiotics. It's best to clean them up with uh, saline solutions and cover them up immediately with, with Tegaderm type of dressings. Now, how do you make that stick to the racer while he's in the middle of a race? What do you guys do? Well, if they're sweating and everything, even if they fall, they're going to be out. I don't think they're going to get back up. Well, they, m- most people are going to finish the race with a minor abrasion. It's a major abrasion. They're out of the race. I would admit you can't put that on sweaty kind of skin, but once you get that sort of cleared up and get the peripheral area cleaned up with alcohol, you should be able to get Get those bandages. So you're talking, yeah, you're talking about after the race then? Yeah. All right. So road rash, when they're done with the race or if they're out of the race, get them cleaned up as soon as possible. Get the gross dirt that you can see out of the wound. Try and shave the areas around the wound so you can get a tegaderm or or other um, adhesive type dressing on it. And and then these typically will should clear up in, in a week or so, shouldn't they? Yeah, they will. I mean, my plastic surgery colleagues tell me that that sort of approach will lessen the chance of, of scarring and hasten recovery. Any antibiotics for these road rashes, typical road rash? No, I don't think you need to. I mean, someone that's got a good immune system. Local wound care. Yeah, local wound care is by far the most important. All right, let's talk about some of the uh, inevitable traumatic injuries that you're likely to see. You know, I, in my practice, uh, every summer guys come in with wrist and shoulder injuries, going over the handlebars, 
you know, a driver cuts them off, etc. Those are relatively minor, but but for a competitive cyclist, those can knock them out for a good period of time. Talk a little bit about some of the shoulder and uh, upper extremities injuries you've seen in the cycling. Yeah, certainly. And I'll say this is leading up to that. You'd rather these things not happen. As in cycling, we say we try to keep the rubber down. Good point. Why do these things happen? I mean, people are trying to move within a peloton. I mean, once you get in a big group ride, you know, don't be trying to change positions in the peloton. Just sit in. Second, don't look back. I swear in cycling, there's absolutely no reason <laughs> back. Only bad things can happen. Riders in front of you, cracks, you swerve a bit. There's no reason to look back. Third is just a signal. If you're going to change position when you're out riding with people, just faithfully signal, hand signals, everybody's got their own little system, what in the heck you're going to do. And signal to everyone else, if you're up front, signal to the other people about cracks and oncoming traffic and all those sort of things. It's a sport of courtesy in that respect. Nevertheless, I mean, people are going to go down and... We go down, you usually go over the top or off to the side. Clearly, the most common injury are clavicle fractures. Clavicle fractures, uh, in general, heal on their own. I'd like to hear your feelings about this, but my indications for surgery are pretty limited. They primarily are for where the fracture is overlapped more than a centimeter and a half, which would lead to shoulder, shoulder internal rotation. Other than that, I don't worry about the comminution of the fracture. If there are associated injuries, there may be an enhanced urgency to operate. Otherwise, clavicle fractures are treated you know, right away with ice and reassurance and get a sling on the patient and expect the thing to heal. Yeah, I think for our primary care audience, most clavicle fractures can be handled in their offices. You know, yes. get an x-ray. If you see a lot of overlap uh, or a lot of displacement of the fracture, and these are going to occur in the high-speed type accidents, or in my practice, if I see that the skin is really tented, like the end of the clavicle is poking through, that skin is pretty thin, those are some of the rare indications. But I have to tell you, Bill, I've operated on maybe two clavicle fractures in the last 15 years. I mean, I just don't operate, and I see dozens of them, and most of them heal. I don't know if that's been your experience as well. I would, and I think the primary care people should tell your patient if an orthopedic surgeon said you need to be operated on, get a second opinion. Just because someone's invented a plate that fits on the clavicle <laughs> doesn't mean that we should be using it aggressively. And the complications of plating clavicle fractures is horrendous. I was just going to say, I by far see more complications from surgical fixation of clavicle fractures than I see clavicle fractures that need surgery. Yes. How long is it going to take before they can get back on the bike with a standard mid-shaft clavicle fracture, you know, a couple centimeters, I mean, a, a couple millimeters of displacement? You know, you can probably get on a trainer at your house within two weeks, no sooner. And I don't think you should get outside and ride, even in a controlled situation, for probably six weeks. Um, they're just, the fractures aren't sticky. And, you know, if you, if you fell again, uh, you surely would re-break it. So it's disappointing. Uh, but it's a good six to eight weeks, and people are going to ask you, well, should I use electrical stimulation? No. Remember, the FDA has not approved electrical stimulation of acute fractures, so there's no reason to even uh, look into that. And you just, uh, it's a hard pill to swallow to be off the bike for six, maybe eight weeks, but that's just the way it is. Now, if someone on the U.S. Postal Team or the U.S. Olympic Team goes down and breaks their clavicle two months before the Olympics or before the Tour de France, is there any role for surgery in that situation? I know cyclists will be asking. 
Yeah, I, I think they, they more aggressively uh, will plate those. But, you know, for the listeners and for, you know, we're not making a living doing this. And, and we're dealing right now with a guy who viewed himself as a very good triathlete and had his clavicle plated. It's now 18 months later, and he's still battling the complications from that clavicle plating. So a little vanity aside here, just let biology do its job and wait out the six weeks. Bite the bullet and let it heal. Yeah. Other uh, shoulder injuries. We've seen dislocations and humeral head fractures. What are some of the other shoulder injuries uh, you've encountered in your practice? Well, keep in mind, when I leave this interview, I'm going to go see my friend who hit a possum. I don't th- know if you have any of those up in Chicago. but Oh, yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> He had a possum at 5.30 in the morning, went over the handlebars, and had eight fractures. The message there was, you know, keep looking. I mean, just because it's real apparent there was a clavicle fracture or someone did say fracture their proximal humerus, you've got to keep looking because he had, you know, three rib fractures, two spinous process fractures, and two transverse process fractures, and blood in his chest. They may not be high-speed injuries, but they're pretty high-energy injuries coming off a bike, you know, at... 20 miles per hour plus. So the message is just be very aggressive initially in getting those images done in the emergency room. And uh, if things don't seem just right, be thinking there may be associated injuries to the ribs, to the vertebra, or somewhere down the humerus. So for those in the audience who are working in urgent care centers or ERs or in that venue or consulted, some of these injuries border on trauma-type workups. Yes. So keep that in mind. I guess use your best judgment, but if there was a lot of impact, a high impact, a relatively high amount of speed going downhill, some of these cyclists can be carrying 35 miles an hour greater. Some of the injuries you'll see are what you might see in a uh, traffic accident. Yeah, I mean, you'll be faced with airway difficulties. I mean, face injuries, battle of fort fractures. Uh, I've seen all that covering bicycle races here in Houston. Just have to be vigilant. as a tend to minimize what happens, an embarrassment on the part of the patient, but you've got to control the situation, and you're the physician there. You're the healthcare provider. You control the situation and make people understand that there's some gravity to these type of injuries. Sure. Some of these guys might come walking in in their cycling shoes, you know, with holding their arm, you know, with their other arm, and, and you got to look beyond the obvious if there's been a significant amount of trauma. Yeah, the worst we've seen, you know, is a ruptured uh, aorta and death in a little Father's Day-friendly race where the dads got on their kids' bikes and rode them on a kind of a cycle cross course. Things can happen. Never let up your guard. Sort of one of the take-home messages for the cyclists out there is it's a fun sport, probably more so than a lot of other sports that we do. Because there's life-threatening injuries, you got to pay attention every minute you're on that bike. Absolutely. You can't let up, and, and you're out there with traffic and obey the traffic laws. They're in place for a reason. I know, you know, in some Sunday morning rides, you tend to get running traffic lights and whatever, but in the end, that's not going to pay off. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I tried to turn left at a traffic light when the traffic was moving straight ahead, and I went down and had like a seven-part fracture of my proximal humerus which they put together very nicely, and I'm doing well, thank you, but, oh, I won't do that again. So it was simply a matter of paying attention or following routine traffic signals. Absolutely, and and realizing that while some drivers will respect you, most won't. You have to assume that that car is not going to get out of the way. And just so so our audience knows, you've been riding for how many years? Oh, 20 years. 
And so these things happen even in the most careful and cautious and experienced riders. These accidents do happen. So be on the lookout for traffic, for traffic signals, and obey the laws. Yeah, and you know, and be visible. People make fun of the bright colored jerseys that cyclists wear, but you want to be seen. This is not a time to wear earth colors. <laughs> and make yourself visible as you come near intersections. You get up out of the seat. You know, you make yourself taller. You you make it apparent. I don't try to ride right next to the curb. I try to stay two feet off the curb. That's just, I mean, that's my right by law, and it sort of signals to the traffic that I'm there. Yes. But you're not going to try to squeeze me up against that curb. So do stay off the curb two or three feet. Plus, there's a lot of debris and stuff near the curb that can get, give you a flat tire. So, Well, excellent advice, Bill. And thank you for being our guest. Thank you. We have been discussing physical injuries incurred by competitive cyclists. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho. You've been listening to the special segment on sports medicine. Thank you for listening.